Greetings. This is Larry D. Giles. I hope you're well, and uh, I'm glad to uh, speak to you again. I'm going to be reading a chapter from the book I'm currently working on, The Boy Beside the Woods. Actually, uh, I'm a little tired, so I hope it goes well. Um, this week I wasn't feeling well, and I'm still dealing with the loss of one of my most favorite aunts. Um, in the book I'm writing, each chapter I wanted to be complete in and of itself, but also I wanted the chapters to link to each other. This one is called Fishtail, and I might be entering it into uh, a larger project um, overseen by a friend of mine. And the piece Fishtail doesn't refer to tail as in a story, T-A-L-E, but to the, the end of the fish's body. It also refers to a sudden misdirected or jerky movement or um, an ill distribution of natural resources such as the land and its fruit and access to that. That's where it goes to on a deeper level. Other deeper undertones refer to black culture being challenged in the 50s, the decade in which I grew up, um, by greed, racism, and other factors, history itself, relationships with the land, relationships between blacks and whites, and between just ordinary people. Uh, this is the deeper level. The perspective is that of an adult, myself, who is remembering his childhood with maturity and, I hope, understanding, but with also a childlike presence, one which is half-knowing, sometimes joyful, and sometimes sad as I have to struggle with depression in my early years. Okay, I have to jump to another program to, um, to begin my text. Hopefully I don't lose you. Fishtail from The Boy Beside the Woods. Sometimes blue as water, I often wondered why my grandfather never went to the river or going over the hill into a tangled patch of briars as if remembering he would suddenly turn back. Though only a few miles from my grandparents' farmhouse Mostly no one I knew went. Not the men at my great aunt's store. Not any of my mother's people. 
maybe not even the fish man, red and dry as a rag. Dragging behind the tailgate of the beat-up truck that was not bothered on helping anyone, he stood in a sudden tailwind of odors. And though my grandfather, a praying man with steady hands, bought a few of the freshest for reasons I didn't exactly know, all week we ate, looking out across the field with very few words, and the brim or carp, which once were bright, then sometimes stank. They stank bo both before we ate them and after, and sometimes a few days after that, surviving somehow like something you wanted to forget but couldn't, scaling them at the well. Grandmother said they were a right nice mess, even better with the right amount of salt. I don't know if the fish man, whom I think was white, always got them on time <laughs> in the icy blue water where her hand could have as well been a wand. Sometimes a tail moved. Sometimes an empty eye looked back. Other times there was no sign of life. Her hand moved anyway. The guts oozed, flipped, and hopelessly gurgled. And Kali, afraid of scales, unafraid of scales and bones, spun quickly to retrieve them with a soundless gulp. A little listless and looking a lot like she could have been the fishman's sister. The drunk woman down the hill went to the swamp, I think, or somewhere behind her shack. Her husband, when he was not teasing her with a fistful of hooks to get her kick cooking done, went somewhere too. For a string of perch or brim, if he should be so lucky. But I don't think it was the river. Slowly mashed into the flapjack of his hat, he would walk through the straggly locust up the shady sand gate to the porch, where he sat in the shade his smoky cigar lips turning themselves into long, uncast lines. He wanted something, but none of us knew what it was. Got quite a mess today, Granddaddy would say, drawing with his stick in the unwatered yard just to say something. Guess you're going to slip me a quarter's worth. Grabbing a foot tub, his wife straggly as a switch or bag of old lures, had placed water and a few chinkles of ice on the resisting boards. Halfway foaming at the mouth, the man who was kind of my grandfather's friend, groaned like two fishing sticks rubbing, rubbing against one another with no comfort. Uh, not today, Uncle Willie. My, my whole nibbard dried up. I think he was speaking of the swamp, the deep black hole that gaped behind him out beyond the porch, which I was afraid he would fall into if it didn't dry up. Already dry from the deep summer, 
the wife had become a sack of straw, or bean husks that were spilling without her wanting them to, and the mash she had had up the hill wasn't helping. I think she could tell her husband was not his old self, not the lean young teen she remembered asking her mother for a hand in his one white shirt, the long, slow push inland where there should have been freedom, was more than she wanted to remember. But it stirred, anyhow, in the seasonless air somewhere between here and there. The depression my father often spoke of when there were no shoes. The war, maybe. The one my uncle barely missed. The long Jim Crow trip to nowhere. She didn't know the word, only the smell she could sometimes roll around between her lips, the parts of their life that had no name, and that were not in books, where the water dripped reluctantly under rusty hooks and chains and poked into the sides of banks already sucked dry. Her red skin was a fire barely teeming under an old pan of hope. Maybe she still loved him, if she turned to think. Alone, and even more thin and scarce, the woman who looked like one of the Indian women I'd seen in books pulled a chair out near the tub for the fisherman to marble from, which he quickly jerked from her tattered reach and placed below her on the ground. He didn't marvel, and he had a taste for something. She had a taste for something that could pour into oceans, I think, and reach all the way to the bottom. Up on the boards above, a single fern wanting to beautify the porch, one of the dead fish managed to move in the icy water. I was kind of turning and thinking suddenly I should look at no one. In short pants and a shirt opened across his yellow chest, the boy swam out of the back room. A shallow, maybe, the house that wasn't more than two rooms with sleeves that were slack and tattered as old traps barely hanging on to the rising above the deepest pool of the swamp. Not able to exactly look at either one of his parents, he asked, Can I go, Mama? His mama gave him up, Grandmother had said, bent over the rack of the large tub. Maybe I think something happened to her. A lot of things just happen, you know. It's been so long, I forget what might be ailing. My grandmother thumped against the old rack, needing more water and soap to remove all the dirt from the fields grandfather sharecropped. She went off somewhere, I reckon. Nothing for you to think on, boy. Maybe somebody took her. I know it was right much commotion about her son when he went down there. Been there since he was a teensy minna thing. Looked just like her, though 
And me too, if you don't reckon. I felt the deep descent of water. The boy looking from the porch into the deep pool behind the house. He held on to the long railing his father had skint bare. They send us the last day you can go. The boy managed to anyone listening. That man from the old plantation house done bought the place. I want to go to the river. I gotta go. The boy again insisted, still more telling my grandfather than the man in the pillaged hat. The size of a once ripe melon. The boy's face had turned into a chipped empty bowl. And his father, nor the drunk woman or my grandfather, would put anything in. My grandfather drew a large circle in the yard, but was slow to put his foot in. And if he did, he would have to tip. Absent myself, I felt cool water against my jaw. I guess it was cool. A reluctant gathering of salt and heat and sand washed out of many places in the earth, places which then held no light. Tagging behind my aunt and her new pelopushes, with her bathing suit on top, the young uncle home from service, I felt the release of the water as it pushed between my toes, the sounds of clean black women laughing like before cool jungles, and men touching them around the waist. Some with long black elbows that rested on ledges, looking out into forever. The air before the restaurant was going in and coming out like something new was breathing. And the bracelets glittered, and the brown lips of their husky lovers were full and purse for possibility. A little after my parents separated, I had gone once when the tide had stretched out, the shells of many things shiny and fresh and glowing for picking. And I was just bumped out of my program. I'm reading from online, so you will have to bear with me until I get back to it. Station identification, we call it. <laughs> You're listening to Larry D. Giles. This is real and live. And let's see. Your program will be brought back to you shortly. He is reading Fish Tale, which focuses on a couple who are suffering for many reasons. Some of them... Um, deep cultural reasons. And let me see if I can find that. I was describing the beach in a kind of fantastic way. The boy remembers it. Down from a floating cloud... I found some lady said an arrowhead under my knee and kept it whole and soft in my hand. Water between my toes I was almost forgetting 
My mother lived in another house, my father's long trench coat blown away in the wind. If only for a moment I was forgetting my siblings had gone away and maybe did not like me, and the new parents I had gained were both good as bobbers and strange sometimes and far ways the land across. I gazed randomly into drunk woman's sinking pool, but there was no place to go. The strangeness I had felt other places as well. Our black neighbor sitting on a basket before the white family's house where he mysteriously lived across the cornfield, I think in the attic alone. He had driven the white children to the only school of more than two rooms or something. But there was no longer a family bus. The county had made other arrangements. Across the long cornfield, which also belonged to the neighbors, as did the small, isolated bungalow my parents rented on the dirt road. The huge, sometimes spooky house where my cousin, whom I didn't know was my cousin, lived with her mother and rather strange grandmother with a portrait of an old white man in the back room hanging wet-eyed under some clothes. Say the beach gonna shut down, the boy pleaded before the black hole that was mute and still. To hear this, the uncle I admired, though I didn't often see him, would have sunk like a clean brown stone in the receding current. He loved the beach and the man who ran it. All hours, he had said. And then... And then, even from California, where my uncle had gone to live and serve his country, he or any of us ever went again. Though there was a hole, I think, in the back of the flatlands not far from the Bullnick Road, so secretly tucked into the hanging trees, only an old man like my grandfather could find it. But with no car, it was often much too far to walk. And grandfather said sometimes the man who owned the land could be a little funny. I guess a couple of times we went anyway because my grandmother could cook a lot of potatoes, too many, and granddaddy could catch a whole grass bag full of fish. We told of them as though they were the last gift on earth or even an entire continent. A little nervous, the old white man had seen us and would call the law, the one whose land stretched for several miles back and forth and still wasn't sure we should touch the water. Was he the one buying the beach? I didn't know, and I soon forgot the thought and maybe the river, wondering if my own daddy was coming to see me and if the ones I loved would be talking about my mother or her father who maybe didn't exist, or grandfather, but they too were falling into a hole. Nah, you can't go nowhere, boy, said the squashed hat. Get your little white ass back up in there. My grandfather gave up drawing for a prayer no one could hear, and I stopped remembering the beach, and maybe even my uncle, 
The drunk woman, maybe sobering, must have thought of the water over the cliff from the shack. Anything that could cool the burning throat and tongue. But she said nothing. Under my tongue, I think the spit stung. And the black man who looked like a white man and had been her first true love and the admired elder of my father caught the one swimming fish in his large hand and squeezed it till it foamed out, foamed out the last, the very last drop. Thank you. Because of that interruption, I may try to record this again, but this will do for now. Thank you. I like this piece a lot.